Big Ray. <laughs> hey, Nick, how's it going? It's going good, man. I'm telling you, I must have watched this four times in the last couple of weeks. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I could watch it again right now. It's Yeah, I, I Better not say too much. Better not say too much. Watch it a couple nights in a row, just, uh, just before this. I'm pumped. Everybody, this is uh, Hard Times on Film, and my name is Nick. My name's Ray. And uh, today we're talking about the movie Chino, which uh, coincidentally, or incidentally, I think the word is incidental, uh, I believe this is the first film that uh, me and Big Ray, first Bronson film that we watched together, if I'm not mistaken. And, it may uh, and very well be. I think it was, and I think that you and I and Andy watched this at Andy's mm-hmm. old apartment way, mm-hmm. way back. Yeah. This is going University early days. 90s. Yeah, so we're, uh, we're talking about Chino today, movie Absolutely. Chino. Known in some countries as the Valdez Horses and others as uh, Valdez the Half-Breed is a 1973 film starring Charles Bronson. The movie is based on a 1967 novel called The Valdez Horses by Lee Hoffman. It was a multinational production filmed in Spain with Italian and French funding. Bronson received a million bucks for his work on this movie, Ray. And I think this was his largest paycheck to this date. Uh, he also had a, a director approval in his contract, and he requested that uh, the legendary John Sturgis be brought in to do this movie. And uh, this would be his fifth movie with Sturgis. You'll recall from our last episode that he did The mm-hmm. Magnificent Seven, he did The Great Escape, he did Never So Few, uh, and he also did a movie called The People Against O'Hara in 1951 that I had I had forgotten about. That's one yeah, of the Really bosses. early. Yeah, that's like the first year of him doing film. He was Bachinsky in that, I think. He would have been, yeah. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, Sturgis is reported to have been uh, rather disappointed with Jill Ireland's acting in this movie and refused to be involved in reshoots several months after initial filming had wrapped. So the Italian veteran director, uh, Giulio Coletti, was brought in to finish the movie. And uh, yeah, I haven't said some of these names out loud before, so just yeah. you know, brace yourself for my oh, yeah. uh, pronunciation there. You're going to get close. If you're of Italian descent, you know. Just excuse my Canadian accent. In the, a 1970s precursor to Bronson's multiple movie contract with Canon 10 years later, this was the third of five movies Bronson made with producer Dino De Laurentiis. Uh, the others include Battle of the Bulge in 65, The Veloci Papers in 72, The Stone Killer, also 73, and The White Buffalo in 1977. And all those are some pretty key titles in the Bronson catalog. Mm-hmm. A, hell, a hell of a run that uh, doesn't get talked about like the Canon movies get talked about. Well, maybe but, that's uh, going to start now, you know? Yeah, maybe. You heard it here first. Like I said, I watched this a couple of times, and I watched once uh, with the with the Paul Talbot commentary the other night and learned an absolute ton about this movie that I'll try not to just repeat. I'm going to tell people to go, you know, spend their hard-earned cash on some uh, physical media and uh, get, get yourself the Valdez horses on uh, Blu-ray and get that Talbot commentary. But one of the things he talked about was just how about a third of the movie is is reshoots really yeah he he gives the exact number like so many minutes by his estimation is sturges and so many minutes is uh was it coletti yeah i think but uh yeah tons of tons of stuff is added it's a real bit of a frankenstein and the way it was all made and all the different people involved like you know i hold this film in really high regard and so i was really surprised to to see how the sausage was made on this one and like some of the crazy stories uh, behind the scenes. But uh, anyways, I don't mean to uh, pull you off uh, off track there, but there's a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff. A lot of people's names. De Laurentiis used to like put different people's names on the credits in different countries to get tax breaks in the different countries. So he would just say like written, <laughs> written by so-and-so and then over like, you know, a hundred miles away in another country, just be written by somebody else. <laughs> wow. and, yeah. So it's really kind of sketchy sort of who exactly wrote, wrote it. And so it's, it's pretty wild. Well, and then and the, considering the end result, that's quite amazing because yeah, I feel like this yeah. is such a complete film and this is what uh, I'm saying, I'm not going to tip off my, my ranking on this one, but it's, it's high big Ray. I'm mm-hmm, not going to mm-hmm. lie. Yeah. Listen, man, Bronson was about 51, maybe virgin on 52 years old when this movie was filmed. And uh, he did this one right after The Stone Killer and right before Mr. Majestic. Uh, but this is two years before Hard Times. So we know Bronson is in incredible physical shape during the making of this movie. And he's still likely smoking a pack a day. So he's mm-hmm. got that leathery, very, very slim and trim uh, physique. He looks great. Uh, a lot of a lot has been written and spoken about this, this film already. And I've been talking a ton here uh, as a result. 
Um, but I have to keep the mic hot for at least another 60 seconds, Ray. Right. Yeah. Because for uh, sure. I got to offer the listeners my oral mm-hmm. synopsis of Chino in one minute or less. So are you buckled up? I am strapped in, man. Okay, man. I'm ready to hit this one. So if you haven't seen the movie, just pause if you want to and go and watch it right now because I'm going to go through all these uh, spoilers. So here we go. Give me a count in, my man. Three, two, one, hit it. An adolescent boy slowly edges his way on horseback through a treacherous desert countryside. As the sun goes down and the temperature drops, he finds himself outside a small ranch house. The front door opens and the imposing figure of Chino Valdez, played by Charles Bronson, steps out and invites him in. At first, the boy is frightened by Chino, but he quickly recognizes that he's hit the father figure jackpot and all but begs Chino to let him stay. A few days later, Chino, a horse breeder and trainer, is furious when he discovers that a wealthy neighbor, Morel, has erected fencing and injured one of his wild horses. Chino races to confront Morel but finds his beautiful half-sister there instead. She gets one look at Bronson and immediately signs up for his one-on-one riding lessons. They quickly fall in love. <laughs> Morel finds out and threatens Chino with death unless he stops seeing the sister. The two decide to elope, but Morel and his men ambush Chino, beat him, whip him, kill his prize foal, and then go after his stud thoroughbred Mustang. Chino intercepts Morel, kills eight of his men, and then decides to hell with it. He burns down his own ranch, frees <laughs> the remaining horses, tells Morel there'll be no more fighting, sends the young boy off to continue becoming a man on his own, and rides off into the desert, a free man, one step ahead of the fences, the high-class Eastern trained ladies, the land surveyors, and the fast-approaching future of America. The end. Ooh. Oh. That was hot. That was yeah, great, man. man. I got to cool down my mic for sure yeah, after that I one. Bet. Looks, like, Looks a like a hot shot. Oh, man. Listen, you know what? Going from uh, from the frying pan into the fire here, Big Ray, we got to talk about the man's entrance. Yeah. Well, literally. He's cooking. He's cooking up a storm. That's how we, that's, that's right. how, yeah, that's how we meet the man. And I can't think of another, we, I don't, we haven't hit upon anyways, another, another film in the catalog where we join him cooking. We've joined a meeting. We've joined a meeting in uh messenger of death. Oh yeah. Messenger of death. Messenger yeah. of death. But uh, here he is. Yeah. We get the door bust open in that sort of break hard pass kind of way but not as dramatic, right? It's not as dramatic as, as uh, say, your death hunt door busting open. But uh, <laughs> Jamie arrives, and here's, here's Valdez leading his, leading his simple life, chopping some meat, um, you know, looking every bit the powerful uh, horse trainer. Hold up. Yes, sir. My name is Jamie Wagner. I'm looking for work. You sure look at funny places. You run away from home, boy? No, sir. Climb down if you want. Food's cooking. If you're still scared of me, boy, you can spread your blanket out there in the shed. I'll have a lot warmer in here, though. I'm sorry, sir. I answered a chino, 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 chino. Yes, sir. Chino. Like you said, it is a slow boil and it's a low key entrance. And that kind of sets the pace for the movie. Like all the elements that we'll talk about, they're pretty, they're pretty low key. Like unlike some of the movies, there's this movie really works. Uh, everything works together because it's in that same zone. Like nothing's jumping off the screen. The music isn't crazy. The performances aren't outrageous. The action isn't off the charts. You know, You know what I mean? So I think that entrance really sets the tone. Um, not to say the movie doesn't have a ton of exciting and interesting things to offer, but it's not like it's not a wow entrance. No, that's for sure. You know, one other thing I think about this entrance that now that you're saying that is that there's this sense at the at the in the moment of the vulnerability that the little guy has, the little boy. Mm-hmm. You know, when Jamie shows up at the door, you're like, geez, imagine that. Like, you're just. He's terrified. He's, like he's 13, He wants to head 14, out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he shows yeah. up, and then um, Bronson's so scary and, and uh, yeah. menacing, you know, with a huge yeah. knife. And this, yeah. he's in this guy's house. Yeah. There's no he's, one around, man. No. He's so eager to like get a job on a ranch and like he wants to become a man and he's going to work with horses. And like, he's so he's happy when he shows up. He spends about a minute with this guy. He's like, ah, actually, I think I'm going to keep going. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the like, middle of the night. You know, you're yeah, in the desert. Yeah. You'll never get anywhere or whatever. It's like, yeah. that ranch is too far away. Sit down. Yeah. Go, like, oh, okay. Okay. 
Yeah, it's a good. Uh, that's maybe a good segue into the into the role Bronson's playing. Too, you know, he's got this fatherly quality in this role, and I think, like, my understanding is that Bronson had a lot of say from picking Sturgis firstly as the director, but then even just in the in the action and stuff. Like, he's such a huge fan of children and of horses. Those are such a large mm-hmm. part of his and Jill Ireland's life that. I don't know. I assume this is sort of a, a movie that was a bit, uh, you know, right up his alley in terms of of how much he would have probably embraced the the character he's playing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he crafted a lot of what in, went into the reshoots, the fight scenes, the love making scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, I really get the sense from what I've read and listened to about it that this is like this is what Bronson wanted people to see what isn't there is what he didn't want them to see. Like he insisted, even though you said earlier, yeah, he's chain smoking in real life. Yeah, yeah. He, he wouldn't be seen smoking on film. Right. Like he, he insisted that he not be smoking on film, even though off camera, he's just like, you know, just, just pounding cigarettes. Yeah. So he barely <laughs> smoked a pack a day. Yeah. Which is really funny. <laughs> and he didn't want to, he refused to appear in the same shot as a naked woman. So like even the shot, even, yeah, like even the thing in the the teepee, right? Where the woman invites him into her, into her bed and he's cut into the scene, but he, he wouldn't be there when they were filming that. Wow. Yeah. He just didn't want it. Apparently he just didn't want it. Like he didn't want his children seeing that. He didn't want other people, like his children's friends seeing it and bugging them about it. Anyway, this is one of the things that, again, I don't want to take too much away from what Talbot offers, but that's one of the tidbits I got from there, which I found super interesting. That's so cool. Always thinking about his family in real life and how what he did might affect them. And then always thinking about like how he was portrayed, like how the, the brand Bronson. That's kind of the opposite of us, eh, Big Ray? Not really worrying at all about what how our behavior in public might influence uh, how our children think of us in the future. <laughs> <laughs> really, though, I love this idea of, of his character and, and uh, these little uh, tidbits of information because Bronson's kind of an enigma. Like he's he's a bit of a, he's often talked about in simplistic terms, uh, but in reality, when you dig below the surface, he's quite interesting and, and he's uh he made very, very intentional choices in his life that, um, you know, I think this movie is a great example of. But one thing I'm curious about, man, like, so he he helped to reshoot this movie. There's all this extra footage that was reshot and added. What was this movie like before? It had a lot less action. Like, I think wow. in the whole movie, originally, Bronson shoots one guy at wow. the end like one of the henchmen at the end and they were like no we need bronson to shoot way more guys like at least so they, seven more guys yeah so they reshot and he ends up shooting like eight guys yeah, eight and guys. there was there was no bar fight early on that the early when they go into town and he slides that guy like i'll talk about the action later but right through the window that whole fight wasn't there um the sex scene wasn't there wow. like they they added all the like people, it would have stuck out. Like people going to see a Bronson movie, even then, had expectations, and this would have totally defied those expectations. In all but one way, though, Big Ray, I What's think it that? defied all expectations in terms of the mustache. <laughs> Am I right? Oh, that's a yeah, that's a hard segue for sure. <laughs> this to, is the mustache of all the mustaches, man. This is it. This is one of the <laughs> this is one of the crown uh, jewels for sure. <laughs> one of the crown lip jewels <laughs> in the whole. Yeah, all over for is sure. The, this yeah. is the the gold standard of mustaches. I absolutely agree. Like this is the one. Like if they were ever, if they ever smartened up and they were to like put Bronson on any on a on like a bill, or like on Mount Rushmore or something. Like this is, I think this <laughs> is the stamp. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> this is the headshot. I think this is what I would tell them to use for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it was up to me, he'd have a he'd have like a Statue of Liberty size uh, kind of a monument somewhere in the yeah. world. Yeah, uh, you know, this is a strange movie, man. Like there, there's uh, there's not a lot to say really about the style in this movie either. It's very low key, very mm-hmm. very well, I think, well crafted period period costumes. Um, there's one standout to me, which is Morel there, the the villain in the movie. He's wearing a really great uh, kind of Sharky's machine corduroy jacket at one point and he looks he looks awesome 
That's yeah. about it, though. Everybody, yeah. I mean, Bronson looks great the whole time. Very yeah. much, though, he's dressed like he should have been dressed for, for the period. Speaking of look, though, like you mentioned, he's 51 in this. Yeah. And he's looking hard of course but like how do you feel about that 51 i thought that was an interesting age just just throwing that out there at you nick uh knowing we're you know we're coming up we're coming up on chino uh and how are you feeling how are you feeling about yourself you know what to be uh, i'll tell you the actual truth is that i went out and bought a chin-up bar here this week I ordered a chin-up bar on the internet and it showed up at my house. And uh, That's great, man. That's well, you great. Know, the man smoked a pack a day, but he also yeah. did something like, you know, 25 chin-ups every day. And that's yeah. his well, He just like his climbed move. ropes and stuff. Yeah, which is yeah. sort of the same. Yeah. I don't have a high ceiling, so the best I could do is a chin-up bar. <laughs> I don't yeah, have a I'm ranch like, to tie a rope up in. But I'm uh, on like day four of one of these exercise uh, <laughs> yeah. video videos. I can things. tell. You got a yeah. glow about you, man. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> It's either the alcohol sweats or you. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna say my shoulders, but yeah, no. Today was legs. It was legs. <laughs> what would you do, Ray, if I said the word leg? You shouldn't say words like that. What words? Well, she said, uh, legs. Legs. What's wrong with the leg? She's got him, ain't she? I reckon. But just not a word that a high-class, Eastern-trained lady like her should use. Why not? They're not supposed to. Isn't considered proper. And a man should be awful careful what he says around ladies, too. Hell, how are you going to learn a lady how to ride a horse if you can't tell her what to do with her legs or where to put her hands? I don't know. I guess you can say hands, all right. It's the parts that cover up you can't talk about. Yeah, but I never pay much mind to women anyways. I've got more important things to think on. You do. Ain't you? Oh, yeah. But I think about women every now and then. Not me. I ain't never going to get mixed up with women folk. Well, what a man says and what a man does doesn't always end up to be the same thing. Let's go. We got work to do. She's got him, ain't she? What would yeah. you do if I if I said you should work out your legs? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's just genius. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> hey, so listen. So anyways, we're both getting ourselves together. That's oh, yeah, the moral yeah. of the story is we're both probably fitter than we've ever been. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I will tell you the honest truth again. Not only okay. did I buy a a chamber, but uh, watching Bronson and knowing that we are of that age, I wouldn't mind looking like that in my fifties. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't mind like being in a place where if someone just walked in on you and you were in the tub, you'd be like, "Cool, <laughs> like it's okay." Yeah, you might you might take your you know? time jumping down into the water. You know what I mean? Yeah, you had nothing to worry about. You know, <laughs> yeah. not quite yet, but uh, we'll no, see. We'll we're see. getting there. Maybe by the end of season three, we can yep. uh, we could post some some before and after season for one sure. versus season three for photos, sure yeah right? yeah <laughs> hey listen man i want to talk about the music of this movie because okay. it's uh again it's subtle but um very enjoyable did you do any digging on this one yeah a little bit i found out about uh, guido and maurizio d'angelis <laughs> yeah is this a Sorry. competition you're kicking my ass <laughs> man competition the pronunciation. who can butcher the italian names worse <laughs> but guido and maurizio d'angelis uh yeah these, these are prolific film score guys but also outside of film um they were sometimes known as uh the band oliver onions uh, as recent as a few years ago these guys had like a reunion cd they're extremely big and i think it's like portugal maybe like just like have had a massive career and they're st- and they're still around they're producers they're writers they're like do everything in the in the movie business but they looks like they cut their teeth on a lot of spaghetti westerns you know man it'd be super cool that like 30 years from now if if we were if our podcast was just huge in some country like that yeah you know? <laughs> some random country yeah. like there's uh, guys on the street selling like cd copies they've burned for sure they got yeah. those before and after photos on t-shirts <laughs> never had no 
So, uh, so these guys are uh, a couple of Italian brothers. They scored a million uh, westerns through the '60s, '70s, '80s, um, and and one of the things about m movies at this time or those kinds of movies is they almost always had a theme song. So there, this was the thing is that they would record the soundtracks these spaghetti westerns and they would release as a single a theme song. And this is something we've said before, but it has sort of a, a John Denverish kind of feel to it. It's sort of this Euro country, I think some people refer to it as. That's what I read, anyways, at least. Uh, it reminded me a bit of Rodriguez a little bit. There's something <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. voice that reminds me of, of, uh, of Rodriguez. And uh, in the opening of the movie, they actually extended the credits to accommodate the whole song. Like initially when Sturgis did it, it didn't have this big, expansive intro of Jamie riding through the hills. They added some of that so that they could fit the whole song in at the start. Throughout the movie, I, I think what you get a lot of is just sort of the recurrence of pieces of this theme song. There isn't a ton of original music that veers too far from the theme song all throughout. So you'll get the main melody come in a lot you'll get the harmonica come in a lot but it's it's nice it's pleasant it supports it you might find yourself whistling dun, 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 dun. you know yeah. uh, you know as you go about your day the next day it's, it's a bit of an earworm in that way but uh yeah it comes out on vinyl in japan only do you and have a copy of this? Have you... I, I do not and then it was released on cd i think by rhino in the 90s but nobody uh, that I can find has uploaded either of these editions to the old internet, to YouTube at all. So you can get a lot. You can listen to the song, uh, people covering the song, a bunch of videos like that on YouTube. But uh, the other incidental stuff, I've only been able to hear in the context of the movie. That's nice. Wow. It supports it. But I don't, th I don't think there's a lot to write home about here, music-wise. It doesn't take you out of the movie, which is always, you know... Yeah. If you don't notice it, then it's usually working, right? It's not a bunch of like slap bass or something. <laughs> yeah. <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that like era, you never know, you know, like that era they did do, they did add in oh, yeah, sometimes for sure. an over the top quality. Yeah, so listen, man, speaking of, you know, brilliant artists sharing uh, genius ideas uh, and uploading them on the internet. <laughs> Have some, have some uh, big, uh, something for our big ideas section of the of the episode. The substance, according to Nick and Ray. One undercurrent of this whole movie, Ray, that's pretty hard not to notice, is the juxtaposition of of wild but somewhat domesticated Bronson against the wild, somewhat trained Valdez horses. It's not subtle. They lean into this one pretty good. Ireland's character refers to him as a horse a few times, straight up, he inclu <laughs> uh, including basically inferring that he's hung like a horse in that bathing scene. And then uh, having two sex scenes in the movie happen almost simultaneously, the first between two horses and the second between Bronson and Ireland. And, uh, but I'd say, you know, just because this metaphor lacks subtlety doesn't mean it isn't supremely enjoyable. In fact, even though it's 100% on the nose, my big idea here today is that the greatness of this movie, the thing that really puts it in the upper echelons of the man's catalog, is the earnestness and simplicity of the story and the messages. So Chino Valdez is a total archetype. He's a loner. He can handle himself in a fight. He's a bit of a wild man. He's nice to children. He's nice to animals. Um, he's very just-minded. and He's on the right side of colonization. Uh, etc. And yet there's a powerful humanity and sense of loss in this movie that balances out any any kind of over-the-top archetype and it mutes the normal thrill of watching Bronson play this archetypal character. Bronson's prize foal is murdered. He's whipped. His freedom is, is contained by land surveyors and fencing. He's discriminated against and attacked and forced to leave town early every time he goes there. In the end, he gives up his ranch. Jamie loses his home and his mentor. He frees his horses, but to wear, you know, and uh, he's left at the altar by the woman he loves. And just pausing on that, uh, Big Ray, like, couldn't she have tried just a little bit harder in that scene, right? She doesn't push back against her brother very hard. No, not at all. Where is Gino? I'm waiting for him. Go home, Catherine. You are not to marry him. You're just my brother. You can't tell me what to do. 
If you insist, I will kill him. So it's your choice. But you remember, in the future, my life is my own. But uh, she does give up pretty easily there. But uh, they do a great job of showing in a subtle way that both Chino and Ireland's character realize that their marriage uh, isn't likely to work. So I'll give her that much too. You know, it may be it, it may fully uh, domesticate Bronson, for example, and uh, even Ireland's character probably can't see herself living out her days in that ranch house or in the, or in the desert that they live in. <laughs> All I've got to do is add a room or two off the bedroom, then I'll get me one of them big Franklin stoves. So that she can do some baking as well as cooking. Put a couple of hide rugs down on the floor. Of course, I need a new bed. So that she won't have to boil her clothes. She can use this trough here. I'll get her a new washing board. And one of them clothes rings. All this to say, there are a few incredible moments when Bronson's humor and humanity are front and center. When they start laughing in the bathtub scene, you know, they kind of let down their guard and, and uh, all the conversations he has with Jamie in this movie, the, the dialogue is just, you know, it's so heartwarming and awesome. Oh yeah. Um, you know, when he decides not to bang that woman in her tent, right? <laughs> These are thoughtful moments and offer so a dimension, <laughs> a dimension to his character that is equally yeah. as satisfying as his ability to uh, fight or shoot a rifle. For sure. And finally on this, part of me sees a sincerity in this movie, not unlike the sincerity of someone who doesn't speak a language very well, but who is trying to communicate using simple words. So as is often the case, the simplified language actually gives what the person is saying a warmth and a beauty that might not have been there otherwise. I, I live not too far away from Quebec. So if I go over, you know, Quebec's French-speaking place, so or go to New Brunswick or something, I'm just like, uh, uh, votre, votre ville est magnifique, you know? It's like, I'm just trying to say, hey, I really like your town. And, uh, you know, I don't know, you had a nice restaurant here or whatever. But... <laughs> I like the gravitas you bring <laughs> to the voice, too, as though you're forcing it out. It's like, ville. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, it's Jean Chrétien style, you know? Yeah, yeah or a yeah. French wrestler. Yeah, if you can't speak the language, at least you got to have some have some style in your, yeah, in yeah. your dialect, right? For sure. Um, Bronson's European films, though, they have they have a lot of that. Oh yeah. Anyway, yeah, man, that's my that's my big idea. What well, do you, you think? know? Well, one of my most immediate takeaways from your big idea, though, is that you see the you see it as two sex scenes separately, and I never <laughs> thought about it that way. I always saw it as sort of one. It's a sort of wall of all of a piece, right? It's, right, one, yeah. it's like one, a, force, a foursome in your yeah. mind. <laughs> there's a bit of a, yeah, there's a bit of a divide, but it's still kind of concurrent. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we don't ever go, that would have been a step too far. Can you imagine at <laughs> the end? Like we don't ever go back to the horses. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a ballsy yeah. filmmaker to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it could be uh, a fly on the wall in the editing suite for yeah, that one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but okay, yeah, yeah. No, I definitely, I definitely think you're right. This is a, this is a sweet movie, and it's a quiet, and it's a bit of a quiet movie. And even with all the inserted action, uh, which we'll talk about in a bit, it's still not a ton. No, not a, it's not a ton of action. Like not in comparison to the the other Bronson movies. So it's still relatively quiet and spare kind of character piece for the most part. And that totally is where it's, it's charm lies. It's so funny to think that this would have been the first movie that we all watched on a Friday night, like with a bunch of beers <laughs> as we sort of started our Bronson journey. <laughs> well, I was in the thick of my Bronson journey by the time I got oh, yeah, there. With yeah. you guys. Yeah, I think right. I owned this on on VHS or something. Yeah, you know, so. probably some <laughs> horrible copy too. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely horrible copy. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, you know, dubbed. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, it was just like bad. a copy of a copy. Yeah, brutal, grainy. I taped it off TV or something. <clears throat> remember that? Just, just as an aside, I'm just remembering us watching those movies, and I remember when we rented The Great Escape. Remember, it used to come on two VHSs. Yeah, like you got yeah. that big, that big double. It would open, and there was one on either side. That's right. And and we popped, we popped it in, and we watched the first 
Like intermission. you watch it like an yeah. hour and a half in the movie and you get to the intermission. And then we popped the second, second tape in and it was, it wasn't the right great escape. That's right. It was the, it was the second tape of the great escape with Christopher Reeve, like the That's remake right. from like 1990 or something like that. I can't I guess believe I could, you remember that. Yeah. I guess I don't know why that sticks in my memory. I guess I could have saved that for when we do The Great Escape, but just picturing the room that we watched those movies in, I'll never forget that. That's amazing. We were so disappointed because oh, we were yeah. so jazzed on that movie, me and like you and midnight. Andy. Yeah. It was like midnight. We'd invested an hour and a half in The Great Escape, and then it was just like a <laughs> terrible TV movie. Oh, and we just, man. That, yeah, that was great. Yeah, and it wasn't even like we didn't even luck out and get the Seawolf or something, you know. Speaking of Christopher Reeve, like that would have been yeah, a, no, a gift. Yeah, right? that would have been something. Yeah. No, oh well, that was probably that might not have been released yet by that point, man. Oh, it might not have even. That's that's <laughs> nuts to that's think. That's crazy to think. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we well, are we are pushing up into the Chino territory, up man. Into Chino territories, <laughs> but I'm gonna keep hitting the videos, and you got the chin up bar, and uh, it's all gonna shake out i, think I may start smoking a pack a day i don't know i'm thinking about it <laughs> well you're what a half pack of those clove <laughs> those clove cigarettes you're talking about my my uh, abs or you uh, what yeah you've got a half pack <laughs> more like a more like a one of those miniature kegs <laughs> all right what's your big okay. idea big okay Ray? my big idea we've touched on some of it already we talked about how that foursome um, yeah, I really zeroed in on that. The fu- actually, the funniest part of watching this movie was that my wife was in the room for about five minutes of me watching Chino, and it just happened to be those five minutes. Oh, man. So, yeah, she comes in the room and she was just doing some schoolwork or something like that, but it did, I don't know if it was the sound, the whinnying, or what it was that like <laughs> drew her attention, but she did watch the TV, and then there is a bit of a, you know, there's a bit of an interplay between the two of them, and she's like, I don't think that lady is into it, <laughs> and so Ireland, yeah, but you know, so that, I, little, that poor horse wasn't either. <laughs> I don't think so, <laughs> and uh, that that's the way it goes, yeah. Um, and that's a whole different big idea in the making. Uh, I invite the folks out there at home to <laughs> come up with their own big ideas. We may you know? have to do one of those uh, extra features uh, yeah. like we did in season one there. For sure. <laughs> but anyways, uh, no, uh, I digress. We both digress. But we talked a bit about how this role was really Bronson kind of creating the version of himself that he wanted on the screen with what he did and what he didn't do and what emotions he showed and, and, and didn't and, and all that sort of stuff. And so it struck me that watching this, we, as the, as the viewer, and especially as sort of big Bronson fans, we're kind of Jamie in a way, like Jamie comes in to Bronson's life and he sees this man that's incredibly magnetic, uh, charismatic, uh, powerful, uh, and in so many ways, he wants to be like Chino. Uh, and yet, at the same time, he's always at arm's length. Chino kind of keeps him that way. Um, he likes having him around, but he doesn't invite him all the way in. And also, Chino's capable of doing, and maybe more so in the book, which I'll talk about later, but he's capable of doing kind of weird stuff too. So he's not perfect. So he's someone that we we kind of envy and we admire, but he's also flawed and he's also kind of at a distance from us. And in so many ways, that's a bit like Bronson to us, his fans, right? Like so much we admire about him, but he did really keep a bit of a cone of silence around his life. Like there's lots that we don't know. There's lots of weird stories about him doing odd stuff or being rude to people or something. And you're like, oh, that's not really okay or whatever. But we still love him yeah. uh, for everything that he offered. So, so it's a little bit like, yeah, that Jamie Chino relationship is a little bit like the the Nick and Ray Bronson relationship. Even you know the characters I mean? too that he plays, you know, you kind of yeah. you kind of can only go so far with those 
characters and then you gotta you kind of gotta stop you know like well you wouldn't want to emulate you wouldn't want to emulate them in in all of their actions (laughs) yeah no i'm not moving to new york and uh getting a bazooka or whatever you know (laughs) no (laughs) yeah so anyways not yet that was my takeaway (laughs) i thought that was not yet no i like that a lot ray that is really nice man it's a nice way to think about it too you know, and I think it is an it's uh the movie does a great job of that. If you you see Bronson through Jamie's eyes quite a bit in the movie, and there's that's an element that you don't often see in his movies. Just the it's almost a family movie in a way, right? Like it's not yeah. Uh, Take a couple of things out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few there's a few uh, scenes that I probably wouldn't let my little boy watch necessarily. It's very right? close though, and that's just that's just increased by the fact of uh, Van Patten, who is very popular in like family TV shows. And he's Dick Van Patten's son, and Dick Van Patten's yeah, yeah. dad and eight eight is enough, right? Yeah, so there you go. Such a yeah, and his performance is fantastic. Like I have it to is. say, having not watched this movie for such a long time and watching it again, I was like, "Whoa, this kid is so good in this movie! Mm-hmm. Like so, so believable, wide-eyed, and just like, can I stay? Like he's just like so excited. He really uh, brings a ton to the to the movie. I think. Well, I know you're hard on the child actors too. <laughs> <laughs> like if anyone is just gonna tear a child actor a new one it's you we know that yeah. from past movies yeah no for sure yeah. he's uh he's a, a whole lot better than uh that that kid that gir- and that, the in, girl uh... from uh yes virginia <laughs> i think is still probably yeah. like yeah i don't know if our commentary found its way to her but i hope not yeah i'd still probably... be upset probably yeah i'm thinking about the kid and the Evil that men do, you know. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I was harshest on that poor kid. Yeah, but yeah. that kid was terrible. Yeah. That wasn't that wasn't that wasn't acting. <laughs> <laughs> Unless that was method acting, and the kid was trying to yeah. try to be that bad for sure. And you know, another yeah, I'm just thinking, man. You know, and I'm looking at the time here. Um, we haven't talked really about Jill Ireland specifically, and we got Andy waiting in the wings. So I'm just I, as we've been mm-hmm. talking here, I, I shot him a quick text. He's going to join us here in a minute. Director from London, London. it's the Ireland Effect. Yeah, he's on. He's on the uh, the line. Big Andy, how are you, man? Hey, good. How are you guys doing? (laughs) Great, great. Holy smokes! It must be late as hell there where you are. Oh, it's it's early mornings. (laughs) You look good, man. You look like you just came back from the gym or something, though. (laughs) (laughs) You're fired up. Deadlifts for for the last three hours. It's early morning. Is that a tea you've got there? So like an iced tea? Maybe scotch. Yeah. Maybe some scotch. Scotch. Yeah. That's good. All right. It's healthy. It's the metabolism when you're working out. First thing in the morning, just do some sit-ups and drink a scotch. Hey? Yeah. <laughs> nothing better. There's nothing better. Hey, so I'm really curious to know what you're going to say about this because um you know, John Sturgis there, he really dug into Ireland, apparently, right? Like he refused to do the the reshoots because he said Ireland's performance was was so was so poor. And I I don't agree with it myself, but uh I, I'm curious to hear your response to that. Well, I think there's two there's two possible takes on it. One, uh my first reaction, because I read that too, and I was like, did he say it? Like, how could you say it about the performance, right? Like it's a magnetic performance. So Either somebody made that up, some inter- or or he thought that. In which case, like he's, he's totally wrong, right? Yeah. Like this brilliant chemistry between her and Bronson in the film, static electricity between them that you probably only get with like a a married couple, right? Like a proper married couple. Like they're so natural together. Personally, on a for them, it must have been a great film because they both loved horses. They had that horse ranch in Vermont, right? And she showed horses and bred them and showed them. And you, you see them around the horses. And they're, they're both brilliant at it, right? I mean, Bronson makes a joke that she's she's riding English saddle, that she's uh, maybe not the best rider. What does he say? She's terrible? Yeah. She's really good. And I mean, Bronson, when he's working that horse, and anytime he's on the horse, I mean, they're both fantastic. So for them, I think they probably really enjoyed making the movie. I mean, it's a hell of a good movie. And they oh. must have enjoyed making it. And I think that comes across in the performances. You think maybe like uh, she had to temper her her actual riding ability a little bit to try to look 
half terrible and maybe <laughs> maybe ta- maybe even temper some of the magnetism uh, in the <laughs> in the relationship <laughs> too they she had to dial everything back so i guess in the end though man are you trying to suggest that uh you just you obviously disagree with Sturgis, and you know this was sort of the end of his career too, right? So this it might have been the the nail in the coffin based on what you're what you're suggesting. But well, could mean, you see could you see another you know I don't know like his suggestion I guess was that another ac- actress could have could have done brought more to the role. I mean Bronson wouldn't have been inviting it back if he didn't think there was something there, and there's definitely something there. I don't think you'd have got the same chemistry with a different actress, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, Sally Fields is a good actress, but you can just slot Sally Fields in there. No, that she doesn't know how to ride a horse. No, she doesn't know how to ride a horse. Yeah. <laughs> also, she may not have inspired the same the same performance no. from Bronson. That's something I like to remind everybody all the time. It's like people say, "Oh, Ireland, Ireland." You know, she she had a uh, there's some some um, weakness in her in her skill set. It's like, well, yeah, well, you know, it's hard to say what Bronson would have brought to the screen if he if he didn't have her there. So. I don't know. This I agree. Guy. I agree, man. And if uh, if Bronson ever would have lurked alongside Sally Field, I mean, Lord knows what would happen to a Burt Reynolds career. <laughs> Bronson would have been like, "I'm gonna marry <laughs> Sally Field," <laughs> and then we wouldn't have had Smokey and the Bandit, or yeah, yeah, that's a good call, Big Ray. You know what could have been. <laughs> All right, Big Andy, man, we're going to let you go. We'll let you get back. Put, we'll, get, we'll let you put your shirt back on and get back to the exercise and whatever you're doing All there. Right. And, uh... All right. Well, you guys take care. Good All right, to see buddy. you. All right, take you care. Too. Bye. Directors from London, it's The Ireland Effect. Speaking of acting and yeah. action, uh, mm-hmm. I think that there, like you said earlier, there's not a ton of action in this film. There are a few scenes in this movie Great action, but it's at a very low volume. For sure. So the bar fight scene is phenomenal. Yeah. And then seeing him fight at Christmas time with that <laughs> huge ladle, that big uh Yeah, just fending off Catholic, like four uh, guys with a big Catholic? <laughs> I think it looks like, like a uh, Catholic ladle? I think it looks kind of like to me anyway, it looked like one of those uh one of those incense uh ladles or what not incense that they uh, swing holy water, on the, the holy they water swing ladles. on the chain? No, no, like smoke coming water, out of it, like a holy water ladle, you know. Ladles full of holy water. Yeah, they do this thing where the don't they just got... like sprinkle some drops? It's like or is that big, just it's the like a strainer? It's like a it's like a very very low uh, viscosity <laughs> strainer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he he fights oh, those man. guys off with a low viscosity strainer. If there are any strainer. Catholics listening, please set us straight in the comments. Yeah. Anyway, man. There's not a lot else. There's a shootout on the hill at the end, which is fantastic. He shoots yeah, yeah. a number of a number of uh, bad guys, I guess you'd call them. And then, uh, really, the thing that I think makes this movie stand out, though, is just the um, the slow boil of of the the moments of him farming. You know, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> the horse, like the horse work, like, and a lot yeah. of that. A lot of that is Bronson. A bunch yeah. of those scenes are him um, in control of the horses. Uh, yeah, it's re- and it's really cool to watch. Yeah, it's it's not really an action movie per se, you know. But uh, anyway, one, I think one, yeah. One of my action takeaways is I'm going to put this up there. I think with some of the absolute best um, stunt double work ever in a movie. Uh, again, I got to go back to this commentary finding out that it's not Bronson on the horse a, in a bunch of the shots in this movie kind of blew me away because really? it, it's so well done. There, yeah, there's lots of shots in the movie kind of mid and far shots where it is a, a like a stunt rider instead of Bronson. But whoever they got and however they shot it, like I think it's incredible. Like it's not like, you know, we've seen lots of examples of, bad stunt so, doubles right? you don't think it's the guy like, from assassination who's on the motorbike who's <laughs> like clearly an asian guy with like jet black hair and bronze yeah. has got gray hair by yeah, that point yeah exactly this is like the polar opposite <laughs> of that i was i was blown away to find that out and i was i i'm like so hats off that was incredibly well done in this movie wow. i think yeah. i that surprises me i assumed that bronson did all of his stunts in this movie and that was him the whole time 
yeah, he does lots of the stuff. Like when he's on the ground, he's moving the horses around and there's some close-up shots of him on the horse, but lots of like, you know, riding at a good clip or, or the shots kind of at a distance. It's somebody else. And uh, yeah, I never would have guessed that. Wow. Well, maybe a couple of years from now, either of us could do the stand-in for Bronson, eh? At least the shirtless scenes. Who do you think, um, who do you think I could do a good stand-in for? You? Yeah, like if I got my horse game up. I like Nick Nolte. 80s Nick Nolte. <laughs> Nick Nolte. <laughs> Nick Nolte's like 90, man. <laughs> well, not, not, I thought I said 80s, 80s Nick Nolte. Oh, well, I didn't. Well, there wasn't a time travel. <laughs> Late 80s. Kind of situation. <laughs> Early 90s. Early Early, 90s like, mid 90s Nick Nolte. Like 48 hours Nolte. Maybe, oh. another, maybe another 48 hours Nolte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might be more of like a 72 hours Nolte. I don't know. <laughs> How about me, man? Right now, well, you got your reading glasses on. The listeners can't see. You look kind of like uh, David Tennant, that guy yeah. that does Doctor Who for a while. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'll take that. But neither of us can ride a horse. So, really, the question the I've never move. ridden a horse, Ray. No, I can tell no. that about you. <laughs> I've ridden a motorcycle. Have but, you? Uh, yeah, but never a horse. How about you? Have you ridden a horse? Uh, just ex- extremely casually, like probably while somebody else led it around, like in a ring at some <laughs> like kind you're of wearing like, some, you're wearing some sweats or a tracksuit or like at some sort of petting zoo or something like that, or some extremely like, casual, just just yeah. sweats and a pair of Crocs. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah, shirt, absolutely. just a really flowy um, yeah, zoo, um, some Zubaz sweats and a pair of Crocs. <laughs> <laughs> like a tie-dye, uh, very loose shirt. <laughs> oh man, the liquor's kicking in. It the is. Liquor, this is the great. liquor is kicking in. I gotta say, yeah. we're we're uh, we're recording this on a Friday night. It's very yeah. rare that Ray and I get together on a Friday night. But Absolutely. This is, uh, yeah, we're kicking it. We're kicking it hard here into a into the weekend, and I'm mm-hmm. feeling great. I feel fantastic. So Ray. I want to yeah. talk a little bit about the co-stars, the okay. creators, uh, and the production team here. But do it. I've already mentioned Vincent Van Patten, who plays a little boy. Um, he also the only, he doesn't have any other tie-ins with uh, with Bronson, except he is in the Dirty Dozen in 1987, the Deadly Mission edition mm-hmm. of the Dirty Dozen. So he's an echo of the original uh, Bronson vehicle. Uh, he's also in Rock and Roll High School, which I I didn't know. I have to oh, well. re- rewatch that again. And his father, of course, Dick Van Patten. Beyond being in Eight, Eight is Enough, he's in Soilent Green with your man oh, Char- yeah. Charlton Heston. Yeah, and he's in Westworld yeah. with uh, oh, Wow with Will Brenner. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I have to rewatch hey, that. Can I interrupt you for one sec? Huh? Speaking of Rock and Roll High School, it just reminds me. You know, uh, Straight to Hell. Isn't that Joe Strummer in it? Yeah, that movie. I love that movie. Ed Harris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They use the exact same town. In that's, Rock and Roll High School? No, no, in Chino. Straight no. to Hell. Yeah, Straight to Hell was filmed at the same at the set that was built for Chino. It's no the same yeah, it's the same town. Like I where they re-watched, are for Christmas and stuff. Yeah. I rewatched Straight to Hell maybe six months ago. Oh yeah. Well next it's time awesome. you next time you look, it's the same town. It's that's still a- there. It's like a tourist attraction. No like you can I still go see this town that was built, yeah, in whatever little town. I forget what t- little town it was. You can go do some Bronson tourism, and you can go check. You can go check it out. Well, that's uh, that's on the list, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, appearing as Morel in this film is Marcel Bozufi. <laughs> Marcel Bozufi, who once dubbed, <laughs> who once dubbed Star Charles Bronson, uh, in the French release of Bronson's Machine Gun Kelly. So in 1963 they they released wow. Machine Gun Kelly in France and he he was Bronson's voice in French. That, that's amazing. Yeah, it's wild. You eh? think they talked about that on the set? I don't think Bronson talked to anybody on the set. Well, I read this book. I forget the author, but there's like this early 70s bio of Bronson. I think it's it goes up to maybe I think maybe 77 78 it was released. So okay. it t- touches on those earlier years in the 60s and 70s, really. And uh, it does say that uh, that Marcel Buzofi was quoted as, as saying that Bronson was a man of very, very few words who mm. spoke almost n- never, you know. <laughs> so I don't think they shared too many, uh, no. you know, no. uh, back, back and forth on the, uh, on the set. 
Uh, Florencio Amarilla uh, played Little Bear, and he's also in Chato's Land and Red Sun, which is kind of cool. Jose Nieto plays Ricardo, and I believe that's the guy who uses a racial slur and then pulls a gun on, on Chino in town, right, the, at the beginning there when he yeah, first yeah. goes to town. That guy's also in Red Sun. And uh, then Diana Loris plays the beautiful uh, indigenous woman there in the in the tent you were talking about. She's in Villa Rides. And, mm. I, you know, Villa Rides, man, there's so many connections from Bronson's pre- previous, like some of the episodes we've talked about, they've yeah. connected to Villa Rides. So we have to watch that one at some point. True. Uh, Louise Prendez, Louis Prendez is the bartender in the film, right? That he's like, please, Chino, don't drink here, whatever, right? Right. That guy's, he's also in Breakout. So uh, that's another one that, you know, I haven't seen Breakout probably in geez, oh, man, yeah. an embarrassing yeah. length of time. So that's coming up. That's yeah, got to be coming that up. Again. Yeah. So you're saying that the book is, uh, you know, it's in the back of your mind as, we, mm-hmm. as we're going through this. Sometimes it's hard to separate. So tell us a bit about this book. You're about to be backed into Bronson's Book Corner. Okay, this book, uh, 1967, I believe, The Valdez Horses by Lee Hoffman. And Lee Hoffman was an author, uh, a woman who wrote a bunch of sci-fi to begin her career and then veered into westerns and then wrote about 14 westerns and then ended her career writing romances under a pseudonym. It's a great Western. It, it won the best Western novel of that year, the prestigious Spur Award for best Western novel. And I got to tell you, this is a great, great book. Uh, this is a must have for any Bronson Book Club members. So much of the movie is taken right out of this book. Like, even though it might have gone through many script writers and, you know, and all kinds of iterations, a lot of the greatest lines do come right out of the book. The one thing that's really different is probably the ending and Jill Ireland's character. Much different in the book. In the book, uh, she's kind of taken with him in, in the way that she's sort of like almost slumming a little bit. Like she's this high class lady and she finds his dusty macho horse training persona kind of appealing and messes she's around like with him. He's like Wiley and Renda in yeah, the yeah, Majestic. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and he actually drags her to the preacher to marry him, kind of forcibly, even though she says she doesn't want to go, which is sort of hints of, of what they do end up putting in the movie. But that's when her, it's her father, not her half-brother, uh, he and his, he and his uh, henchmen, they come in and they break the wedding up and that's when Chino gets whipped and whatnot. And then she just jumps right in. She doesn't really have feelings for him. And she turns into kind of more of a femme fatale, kind of almost turning on him in the end. And Jamie's furious about this and starts calling, calling her all kinds of names. And uh, the ending is definitely a little bit different. But uh, one of the great things about the book that's sort of reminiscent to what I was saying in my big idea is it's told in Jamie's voice. So the book is Jamie 25 years on from the events of the story, recollecting this time as a, I think he's 15. And so we see it all from his perspective. And then the, the twist at the end, he's telling the story because a young, young man has come to his ranch and he's reminded of how he once arrived at a ranch at around the same age. Ah, cool. And then he t- and he tells the whole story of Chino. And then on the final page of the book, it's revealed that this this young man's name is Jamie Valdez. Wow. And it's okay. Chino's and it's Chino's son. What? Who has who has yeah, Chino is married somewhere out there in the West and has had a son and now it's time for Chino's son to leave the nest and go off and he's told his son if you ever come across Jamie you know you got to stop in and and see him and so that's what he's done and so the story comes full circle I loved reading it's an easy read it's it's pretty short I would recommend anybody pick this one up for sure Oh, I'm going to have to. That's yeah. great. Well, thanks for uh, for bringing that to our attention, Big Ray. And a Spur Award, man. You haven't lived until you've uh, you've won a yeah. Spur Award. No, as, definitely. As a yeah. 
So listen, man, we're getting to it here. I want to get into the review roundup because I'm dying to know what score you're going to give this film. Okay. Uh, but yeah. but we do have a couple of uh, outsider reviews that we should dig into first. The review roundup. So the first one, as usual, is uh, is a negative review. So it was it wasn't hard to find. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who who didn't what? appreciate this movie as much as we did. This one is a two out of ten. It's coming from Chaz seventy seven on mm. the second of April, nineteen ninety nine. So we're going back a little ways here. It's called Awful, Awful, Awful. That's what the review says. It's two out of yeah. ten. This is a loser movie that makes very little sense. Bronson was <laughs> riding high around this time. Uh, and so I can't figure out why he did it, unless it was as a favor to director John Sturgis, who is bottoming out in his career. It's hard to believe that the man who made The Magnificent Seven and The Great Escape made this. As for the plot, something about a half-breed rancher fighting over land, falls in love with his enemy's sister, uh, Jill Ireland, gets beaten up and run out of town, drives his horses away first, then leaves. Not exactly the most uplifting film you'll find. Not exactly the most coherent one either. I hope someone made their house payments with this one. A complete waste of time. Oh, my God. Yeah, so Chaz, Chaz 77. And he's writing that in 99. Yeah. yeah. So I have to assume he's 22 years old. <laughs> yeah, right? that's right. Uh, he's around 22, and he's writing, like, the different paths you can take, man. Like, thinking of us at, at 22. Bastard. Yeah. At 22, clearly recognizing the genius in this film. And there's just poor Chaz. Like well, I don't by, know, what kind of, I don't 99 know what, too, you know. I think we would have been about 22, no. maybe not quite that old actually when we watched Chino for the first time, but well, there's that's, no way. That's what I'm saying. And like, with, the, with, the, with the internet being new at the time too, could you imagine having the audacity to write this about Chino at that moment? Like you're a 22 year old person, yeah. you have you have the yeah. the kind of confidence <laughs> in yourself that you feel like you should open your mouth about Chino on the <laughs> internet on a brand new internet forum. Like, yeah, I'm sorry, Chaz, <laughs> sorry, Chaz. No judgment. No judgment. This next was a Rotten Tomatoes review. I don't I don't go yeah. into Rotten Tomatoes often, no. but I had to dig around yeah. to find honestly, Ray, there wasn't that many tens to of find tens. It, or, to find a good one. I was surprised. There's lots of ten out of tens, but just not not anything that was worth reading. Oh, this okay. I believe was an eight out of ten. And I'm gonna give it a just say there's a graphic content alert here. I think there this may be a bit of an ESL situation, but I'll I'll read it to you. It's by David H. It was written on May 22nd, 2010. A great Italo Western directed by John Sturgis, starring Charles Bronson with a heartwarming story of a good-minded Mexican horse breeder who adopt a blonde orphanage boy, live in a friend live in friendship with a Cheyenne and is in love with a gringo woman, but her brother, who is also the owner of the land where Chino's horses graze, don't like that relationship, so he terrorize him with his boys. They even whip him hard and long, which is very dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> Scene. Uh, beautiful pictures of the nature, entertaining fist and gunfights, lots of horses and Indians, and up untypical balladeer soundtrack from the DeAngelis brothers. Oh, there you go. Tip like of the hat. In, yeah, like in Kioma. Also, we see the tits of Chino's girlfriend, <laughs> fucking horses, and Charles Bronson is jerking off. And I'll just say, what? Just to say, yeah. So what when I watch this, about? Well, I'll tell you. When I watch this with my wife, she said the same. She's like, "What the hell? I can't believe they've got that in the film." And I'm like, well, "What are you talking about?" And she said, "Well, it's clearly implying that Bronson is is uh, choking the chicken there in the bathtub." And I said, "Absolutely not. He's no. only scrubbing his back. He's not like when he's scrubbing his back on that brush that's affixed to the wall or he's whatever. He's making some sounds. I think I don't know. You know what? But I what I ascribe to this is it's like any woman who sees Bronson doing what Bronson was doing is gonna yeah. go gonna take it a step further because that's just I feel like her mind is just have. gonna go to that kind of place. <laughs> of course. How could it's it not? Naturally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think he he's like the entire, I'm no psychiatrist. His, his, well, I'm just wondering about the logistics of the thing. Like, if you think, yeah, you soap just, up your back it, brush. Like, I don't clearly know. unfamiliar with the. I don't know. His entire torso is like raising up. And down. Yeah, it's not like the middle of yeah. his back's like. Yeah, uh, no, I don't yeah. know. Anyway, I'm not gonna. Let's not get into that too far. But uh, no. just to say. Uh, you know, this uh David H, he know what he he knows what he was talking about. And again, he's sure. a great example of that uh, that element I was discussing earlier in my um my big idea segment there about people who maybe don't speak English yeah. as their first language. 
or any language, speaking it as your first language, if it's just sort of something you're learning, you may you may use language that's a, a little bit more flowery and uh, and more exciting, right? So yeah, I really to, love yeah. this one. But there's a kindness and a generosity yeah, exactly. in, the, in the excitement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So All listen, right. man, we got to rate it ourselves, Let's and I cannot it. wait to hear what you're gonna you're gonna okay. say. Uh, or I think it might be my turn to go first, but. I uh, I had a bit of a hard time thinking of what we could rate this one out of, but I'm going to go with uh, how many legs out of ten <laughs> should we should we rate it? You know. All right. Yeah. So, big Ray, I'm going to go with a I'm going with a ten out of ten on this one, man. Yeah. Wow. I think okay. this is only the second time it's happened, but I'm going to give it a ten out of ten. Ten legs. Yeah. Like a whole chorus line. I can't think of anything about this movie I would I would necessarily <clears throat> change or that if I had changed it would make it better. Right. And there's so many subtle and and high quality moments in this movie that it just like uh, it gives you so much more than than it promises to. Like it's such a gift watching this movie yeah. again even after having not seen it for such a long time. I was so impressed with every element of it. I agree. I think this is one of the crown jewels, man. This is a movie that I hope Hopefully one day I can watch this one with my son, you know? Yeah. Yeah, show it is what a, a bit of a real mustache looks like, you know? <laughs> a, it is a bit of a family movie, right? You know what? Yeah. You know what? And uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm giving it a 10 out of 10 too. This is getting a perfect score. I love it. I love everything about it. Um, So Big Ray, I mean, I'm excited to also know what's next because I think this might be the last episode of, of season two. It's only season two, eh? 10 episode seasons and at the end of every season we hit a non-bronze we go beyond bronze that's a right bit. and last that's season right. we talked about the towering inferno and, so what's and next man this season's my pick well you know what what we talk about a lot of things in this podcast we throw out a lot of other names and you know and other guys from this era and from our form and it'd be years as action movie aficionados and you know i've mentioned the man on a number of occasions and I think it would be remiss <laughs> if I didn't take this opportunity to get us uh into some Norris Whoa. into into some Chuck Norris. <laughs> so uh so yeah, I got asked too like I'm a hockey fan is 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 Norris is Chuck Norris who they is it is he the Norris trophy guy I th- yeah the, I think so the I think defenseman so. of the year is named after Chuck Norris. I think so. Well the best defense <laughs> is uh is a roundhouse to the face. <laughs> so Chuck's tell us a little bit move. about this film, man. Well, okay, I thought long and hard, and I've watched a lot of movies in the last couple of weeks, even trying to decide. And I think, as with Bronson, you know, a favorite can change from week to week or year yeah, to year. Yeah, sure. So I'm going with, like, like right now today, I think what I would say today, my favorite Norse movie is A Force of One. And that's oh. what we're going to watch. I've never seen yeah. this one. It's 1979. This is pre-Canon Norris, but this is really right in the sweet spot for what I was I was renting at the you know edge of video in Winnipeg again and again as a kid. But I was excited. I was excited to throw out a movie that I thought you had maybe never seen. I thought that would be a fun, a bit of a fun twist to watch for one of us to watch something that you know nothing about. I love it. Yeah, no, yeah. thanks. You know me, my Norris, uh, my Norris knowledge is, is limited. So I'm looking forward to this one, Big Ray. Thanks a lot, man. Hey, everybody, right. thank you for listening <laughs> through all this. And uh, yeah, just, you know, put the put the seat all the way back in your Cadillac Brome. Uh, turn, turn the music down low. Absolutely. And, uh, Feather your hair. Get your get your windows down because summer's coming, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and just pound the next episode on your on your uh, I don't know your Bluetooth or whatever. Unfortunately, it's like, it doesn't have the same impact, eh? Like no. I guess you could dub dub this episode down onto a cassette and slip For it into sure. your slip it into your vintage Double. vehicle, yeah, cassette deck. <laughs> That's what I do. Yeah, yeah. Just to just a proof when we proof yeah. these episodes. Yeah, we yeah. do it on two inch tape. Yeah, and I, we record everything on two-inch tape through a uh, tape, yeah. through a rolling space echo or an echoplex, <laughs> and that's how it's done, right? Yeah, for yeah. all you imitators note, out there looking to take, try to cop our style, take it's note, all any of you know up and comers, it's tape echo.
it's not a it's not a like a, on your garage band or whatever man no no all right everybody all right you've been listening to hard times on film my name is nick my name's ray and we'll be catching you again with the force of one <laughs> Camouflage jackets and their orange vests, wearing their their, their sweat, their sweats and Crocs. <laughs> People are laying back in their sweats and Crocs. They're on public, the public transit. Uh, listen to this in their headphones. Yeah, they got their open-toed sandals on yeah. in public, and they're uh, they're relaxing and listening to this uh, incredible podcast. And I can tell you one thing's for sure: uh, Charles Bronson never wore, wore uh, Crocs in public or sweats. Just, <laughs> just, just, just sweatshirts. Just sweatshirts. Sure, 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 sure.